The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling and McGarry, Loren is in for Jeff Courier once more. And Greg Mackling, I don't know about you, but yesterday, uh, it was funny, when I got to the golf course, I was getting ready to play, and I said to one of my buddies, oh yeah, it's Thursday, it feels like Saturday. So because yesterday felt like Saturday, I was not happy to wake up this morning, (laughs) come back to work. It does feel like working on a Sunday a little bit, and I know so many people have today off. So if you do have today off, congratulations on that. Uh, We're very happy for you here on the start. (laughs) And uh, I hope you enjoy your four or five. I know some people with a five or six day weekend right now and good for them. And for everybody that's working, uh, I gave an extra wave uh, to my sanitation engineers yesterday. Yesterday was garbage and recycling day in my neighborhood. So I gave them an extra hearty wave. Uh, I saw two of the drivers yesterday and, and as a salute, thanking them for working on what's a holiday for most people. So I know there are lots of people working today and as we like to do, uh, acknowledging them for their hard work and working uh, holidays and, and days when others don't have to work in the odd hours. So we appreciate it very much. Yeah, Forte, Jeff Forte, our producer of Master Control, he was one of the smart ones who decided to book today off and he's also taking Monday off as well. So Matt Abra in Master Control. Good morning to you, Matt. How are you, by the way, this morning? Doing okay. You know, as you just asked me, uh, how's, the, how's the morning treating you with getting up so early? And I, I got a good sleep last night. I'm impressed with myself. <laughs> you sound refreshed, Abra. Yeah. I am impressed. You should be. That's a difficult move when you're going from, you know, real life, so to speak, to getting up in the middle of the night and, and you manage to do so essentially flawlessly. It's uh, just luck yourself sometimes. on the back. Have an extra Snickers bar on us. <laughs> will do. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, in a moment, we'll tell you who else is in today. But yesterday, of course, it was a day off, and, and many were enjoying the day. But uh, there was the when you sent me that text yesterday, Greg, saying the statue had been pulled down, I had to wander. I and mean, we'll talk more about this at 637, but I had to wander down to Broadway to have a look, and it was a pretty surreal scene. Well, what did you see? Because I've only seen the pictures, and, of course, I've seen the video, and you know, I know there are lots of people who are who are angry about this. Lots of people on the other side who understand why this has happened. Lots of people asking for action from police. Lots of others saying, uh, "You know what? This is this is a long time in coming." And surprised that this didn't happen sooner. Not justifying the action, just understanding where it's coming from. But what did you see with your eyes? Uh, so I went down there at about 8.30 and with uh, the Queen Victoria statue in the front of the legislature, the legislative building, there were, I don't know, just a couple of dozen people who had gathered and it was very quiet, kind of solemn. There were, there were a couple of kids who were standing on the statue, uh, the toppled statue uh, with the one girl had her fist in the air, and uh, then I wandered around to the east side of the grounds to see the Queen Elizabeth statue that had been toppled as well. And uh, one guy, uh, he walked up to the statue, he picked up some dirt from the flower bed beside it and threw it on the statue, and then he spat on it. And uh, again, there was, other than that, like everybody was being, you know, somber and and quiet and respectful, a lot of people taking pictures. So... um, yeah, I'm sort of with you. I don't, I don't justify the action, but I, I can understand where it's coming from, and I'm curious to see what will, you know, I, as Will Reimer was saying in the news, there is going to be an investigation, so perhaps there will be some action taken. I don't know. Yeah, well, the symbolism uh, of these uh, two monarchs and uh, what that represents for you and I is going to be different uh, than it is for Indigenous Canadians and and those that have a, a different history. I was trying to find a correlation, and we've seen so often in the United States over the last half decade or so, and over the years, the anger towards the Confederate flag. And, and obviously the Confederate flag means one thing to multiple generations of Southern um, Americans and those that live in the South, but it means something else altogether for African Americans and others, observers from the outside. So I think it's important to to understand the anger, to understand the pride on both sides of a monument like the Confederate flag or like a statue to to, uh, Robert E. Lee or a statue to Queen Victoria because 
not everybody has the same feelings about those people and their role in history. So uh, I, I think there's lots of reading, lots of conversation to, to go along with this uh, outrage on, on both sides. A march that started Thursday afternoon at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights ended at the Legislative Building. And then with the toppling of statues, Global's Will Reimer has the details. In this video posted to Twitter, you can hear the moment a crowd pulls the statue of Queen Victoria backwards off its stand into the ground. It had earlier been doused in red paint, while dozens of red handprints marked the base. A statue of Queen Elizabeth II near the governor's house was also torn down not long after. Thursday's march was organized by Every Child Matters and comes following the discovery of hundreds of unmarked graves at residential school sites in BC and Saskatchewan. Winnipeg police say an investigation is ongoing and enforcement action will be taken at some point in the future. A spokesperson says one person was arrested after police were called to the legislative grounds regarding a disturbance. However, that was not connected to the statues being toppled. Will Reimer, Global News. So police say they are going to investigate and, uh, you know, just... Just understanding why this might not happen does not condone the action. And um, we got a we got an email here from the Treaty One for some clarification on this uh, this morning with regard to the association at, with the, these uh, protests and what ended to happen at the legislature. Uh, Brett, the Treaty One Nation, in partnership with AMC, MKO, and SCO, was proud to host the peaceful No Pride and Genocide Walk and ride yesterday in honor of the 215 plus children found in unmarked graves and the survivors of IRS day schools and the 60s scoop. To clarify, our event that ended at the Pegwis Urban Reserve at 1075 Portage Avenue was not linked with the incident at the Manitoba Legislature. We are committed to holding peaceful demonstrations and actions and we thank all of our participants for their cooperation and participation in this important walk for residential school awareness. So that came from uh, the folks at Treaty One. We've reached out to them to, to get further comment as well. So you can let us know what you think. Weigh in at 204-780-6868. I know I saw a lot of anger on social media in reaction to this. And I and I think of the the one of the, the final comments that we heard on our show on Wednesday during a day to listen, which once again was on chorus radio stations like ours, as well as uh, media companies across Canada, all banded together to share a day to listen. And the comment went along the lines of, uh, if, if anger and violence is the problem, it can't also be the solution. And that's sort of some of the sentiment I'm seeing is, uh, how does this act of anger help anything? And, uh, when I went down there yesterday, uh, there was I was glad to see that there was no uh, there was no anger or there was no uh, problems that were happening. But you know, I would like to understand, I guess, what led to this before I want to like I I'm not condoning what happened, and I don't think I'm happy with what happened. But I do want to understand uh, before I just sort of cast my judgment. Yeah, well, I, I put some pen to paper and words on, on paper, Brett, and so much outrage over, over the destruction of, of monuments to our history yesterday and the vandalism and unauthorized removal of something precious to many, a tribute most of us assumed would sit in place for all time, a celebration of life and legacy, and I see many demanding justice, names, arrests, convictions for such a thing. And I believe this is where Indigenous Canadians have been for a long, long time, demanding justice, names, arrests, convictions of the people and organizations responsible for the elimination, destruction, authorized removal of their children, their language, their culture, their history. And one email I received overnight said in part, the tearing down of statues at our legislative grounds on Canada Day, no less, or any day, has left me almost unable to breathe. This person also said, two wrongs don't make a right. Bang on. That is absolutely correct. But if you're angry about what happened at the legislative grounds yesterday, just for a moment, try and imagine the heartache, 
the pain, the dismay, the anger of having the headstones, the grave markers, the physical tributes to lives past being removed or never being placed in the first place at hundreds of grave sites across our country. So if you're angry today about that, about what you saw yesterday, uh, try and imagine and put yourself in the shoes of those who have seen similar things for tens, dozens, hundreds of years in our country. My apartment building is turning off the air conditioning today. They have to do some water line repairs, and that includes the chilling towers, which means no air conditioning in the building. And they hope to have it back up and running by 2 p.m., which I really hope they can accomplish that mission because with 35 degrees, it is going to be super melty in my building because last year, I remember, Greg, they replaced the chilling towers and it just so happens they did that in that week in May where, like, remember when it got up to 30 degrees? Oh, I do. And, uh, I, I, like, I, they didn't choose to do it in what ha- ended up being the hottest week in May. I'm sure they had it long scheduled and were, clearly were not anticipating it was going to be 30 degrees. I mean, why would you in early May? Uh, so it was like 28 degrees in my suite. It was brutal. And, uh, yeah, so let's go around the horn here. And let's start with Mr. Jim Toth. Hello there, sir. Gentlemen, how are you? It's good to hear you. Good to see you, Brett. I have no idea what Macklin looks like anymore. But <laughs> I expect it to be magnificent. <laughs> the, flow is, uh, the flow is not quite what yours is, Jim, but uh, it, it's, it's quite magnificent. So uh, how you keep cool uh, without air conditioning? You grew up in Alberta in uh, some of the hottest parts of Alberta. AC is not as common there as it is here. Fair to say? Well, I was just going to say my parents in Lethbridge, Alberta, where it gets really kind of, I don't know if it's desert or not, but it's very dry, very humid, and very hot. Uh, my mom used to have a trick where keep all the curtains and, and the blinds closed, but she would also sometimes, and the windows as well during the day, like if you get through the night, just keep the whole place dark, Brett throughout the entire day and uh, no sunlight can come in, which heats it up. But she had a trick where she used to put a fan in the window and blow the air out. If it just got too muggy, too thick, then after a couple of days, she would open the window and just blow a, a fan instead of fanning the room. She would blow, blow the, the heat out. I don't know if it worked or not, um, but that's one of her sort of ideas. I mean, air conditioning is tricky. Uh, my worst experiences has been in hotels, like when I'm in the States or going to a baseball game in Missouri and uh, that heat and going into one where it's either the air conditioning's too high and I can't turn it down or too low and I can't turn it up enough. Many, many experiences over the summer just not getting the air conditioning in a hotel room to work right. Oh, man. Yeah, and that's, you're, right, you're right. Hotel air conditioning is tricky. It can often just be too much and it just overwhelms you and you're frozen or if it doesn't work. That's no good. Uh, what about you, Matt Abra? Well, you bring up hotels, and I was actually thinking of when I went to Vegas. I don't know how much truth there is to it, but there's kind of an urban legend that in Vegas they purposely put the air conditioning on max to get you out of your hotel room <laughs> and go down and start gambling, right? <laughs> so, and it, you know, I think there must be some truth to it because it is freezing in those hotel rooms, and but it's so hot outside too in Vegas, right? So you can't you can't get temperate. Anyway, and so I just I think back to when I went to Vegas and I wouldn't it was too cold in my hotel room. It was too hot outside, and I tried to go to the pool, but the pool was closed for quote a fouling. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I ended up having to pay ten bucks to go to another pool, and that was at Caesar's Palace, and that that pool is great, but it costs money. So so basically, I paid to be. Okay, so you kept cool in the pool yes. at Caesar's Palace. It was and, a very hot day. And not in your own hotel because of a fouling. Yes. What about you, Mackling? Well, I grew up in the West End. We did not have air conditioning. We had a two-story house uh, most of the time growing up. Uh, you know, moved a lot, but we never had air conditioning in the house we spent the most amount of time in. But we did have a screened-in front porch. And so when it got really, really hot, we would actually sleep outside in the screened porch and uh, you would get a a pretty good sleep. You'd sleep a little bit with one eye open because uh, sounds of the city and whatnot. You you never knew exactly who was around and it might be peeking in at you sleeping, but that was a a really good way to keep cool. 
And uh, a really good text message from Jim said that he grew up also in a house without air conditioning. His dad lived in the same home until he passed 10 years ago, spent a lot of time in the basement. And if you have a finished basement, like I'm in my basement working today, and of course, it's about 30 degrees on the second floor, and it's about mm, 12, 13 degrees down here in the basement. So I'm in a sweater as I work with you guys this morning. There's just no happy medium. Wow. Yeah, I remember sitting in my parents' basement when I was a kid when the air con- conditioning was on, and I'd eventually have to leave, go upstairs because it was just too cold, or go outside to warm up. So you, you go inside with the AC to escape the heat, and then you go outside <laughs> to escape the cold. Sometimes you just can't win. Jim, did you know that if you live in a home without air conditioning, one of the ways to keep cool apparently is to eat spicy food? I did, I did not know that. But I have heard that before around other items, like if uh, about spicy food, like it can, and I don't like spicy food, so I rarely experience it. But a lot of people I know that uh, have tried that, um, I just didn't buy into it. I didn't believe it. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess it forces your body to, to turn its temperature down, right? But you know what? When I did Gold Eyes game, Steve Shirley was a guy. He's managed some teams that played against the Gold Eyes. And when he was the pitching coach or, or one of the coaches with the Gold Eyes, I was talking to him. And it'd be like 35 out at our pregame at about 530 prior to a, a 7 o'clock first pitch. And he'd be drinking coffee. And I'd be mm-hmm. like, can I ask you, like, it's 35 degrees out here and humid. Why are you drinking coffee? And he goes, because a hot liquid cools your body down. And I didn't know that. But I, I have tried that since. And, yeah, if you have a – so it makes sense what you're saying about spicy food. But he swore by it. He said if you have a, uh, something hot, when it's really hot out, it actually cools your body down. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you, you, Sorry, go ahead, Greg. I was going to say, it's raising your core temperature is the way I understand it. And so then the your skin temperature, you actually feel you're warmer than the air. And so that, that just is sort of a natural uh, cooling system, much like uh, when we sweat. My so, mind is blowing with this science. <laughs> so, Outstanding. Long weekends and a campfire. And fireworks go hand in hand. So doing both safely is critical. Yeah. Also, Brett, the popularity of backyard fire pits inside the city means campfires aren't limited to Grand Beach and Falcon Lake amongst hundreds of other locations outside the perimeter. Derek Grignong is a public education coordinator for Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service and joins us this morning. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. We will be uh, talking staying cool in an hour or so, but we've seen the devastation the combination of heat and fire can cause in Lytton, BC. What can we do to make sure backyard fires don't cause a disaster? Well, we have to take some uh, precautionary measures, especially when it's this hot. Everything dries up really quick. Um, So we've got some uh, bylaw regulations in Winnipeg that we need to follow. What kind of bylaw regulations? So um, first would be that uh, you need an approved fire pit. So it has to be enclosed, fully enclosed, and needs a spark arrestor, which is a screen on top to stop any kind of uh, stray embers from uh, flying up and igniting any flammables anywhere. Um, They've got to be at least, all fire pits have to be at least 10 feet away from any structure or anything flammable. So fences, decks, garages, anything to do with any lumber, wood, um, yard debris, that type of stuff. What about above the fire pit, Derek? Do you need a clear line of sight uh, straight to the stars? Yeah, that would be ideal for sure. Yeah, you don't want any sparks going up and igniting any structure that covers it. So uh, ideally, we don't want to be underneath uh, any kind of structure or any kind of uh, roofing outside. Hydro lines, uh, trees, that sort of thing uh, included in that? Yeah, for sure. Um, Another good idea is to keep your... uh, your yard well hydrated, right? So uh, you want to water all your plants, water your um, your trees, your grass, that type of thing. That way, a uh, chance of fire igniting and spreading in your yard is uh, minimized. So you say you mentioned that uh, the the spark arrestor, the the screen. So does it have to be one of those more like more of those uh, sort of like a fire box almost, as opposed to just an open pit? Yeah, we don't. We need it enclosed. So whether that's with masonry or like you said, the fire box or one of those fire bowls you get at uh, 
all the, all the uh, outlet stores. Uh, you need a spark arrestor just to keep the, the large embers from popping off or um, uh, getting into flammables that, uh, that can cause further damage. Derek, I would think that that uh, point might be something that a lot of Winnipeggers don't realize. So thanks for uh, pointing that out to us and sharing it with us. Fireworks are also concerned. What do we need to know there? Like, can I go to the pickup fireworks and just set them off on my front street? Uh, no. In the city of Winnipeg, you require a permit, um, which can be applied for on winnipeg.ca. Uh, they do require a few days notice to, um, to process the permit. And what the public needs to understand also is there are some conditions, and the conditions are quite restrictive. Um, you have to have a firing base, so it's got to be a mound of sand or earth or pail. Uh, it's got to be 100 feet, uh, 100 feet from any property line, structure, buildings, decks, trees, or public property. So good luck finding a place like that in the city of Winnipeg. But if you do, and you do get um, a permit uh, approved, we need to make sure the spectators stay at least 65 feet from the firing base. Um, I also recommend, the, you know, your typical men sometimes don't read instructions, but you need to read the instructions on fireworks very carefully. Uh, otherwise, things can go awry. I know once I was at a beach uh, gathering, and someone was uh, putting up fireworks, and they just tried to prop it up with a couple rocks. And as they lit them, it fell over <laughs> and was firing directly at all of us. <laughs> oh, boy. It was a bit of a panic. And luckily, no one got hurt, but someone can get hurt very easily. Or a fire can start, right? Like, if you're not shooting it up in the air and you're shooting it uh, horizontally, it could fire into anything that could catch fire, right? And, you know, you got to have some common sense with wind speed and weather. And check those things before uh, before you launch. So safety goggles probably uh, should be worn too. I would imagine. I, I'd imagine, yeah. And I'm sure in the instructions that it directs that you you use all those issues, you know, use all those things. And and one last thing with both the uh, fireworks and with the uh, fire pits, you always want to keep a good water supply, a bucket of sand, a fire extinguisher, something that can help you put out a fire that gets away on you while you're enjoying your uh, your fire pit or your fireworks. Derek, some extraordinary, outstanding advice there. A couple of things uh, that I hadn't thought of and, and maybe others listening hadn't thought of either. We appreciate your time and uh, thanks for your work. Hey, no worries. Take care. Have you ever lived without air, air conditioning? What did you do to keep cool? Tell us a story. At 204-780-6868. We had a good one from Kevin in about 12 minutes ago. But, Greg, you say Evelyn is upping the ante? She is, I think. Good morning. Regarding the heat, I used to complain when it got too hot and the air conditioner not keeping up. And then my son served two tours in Afghanistan in 2006 and 2008. I then imagine wearing a 40-pound rucksack and bulletproof vest and helmet and full combat gear trudging through burning sand in 50 plus degree weather. I remember him, pardon me, I remember him telling me that when they went to bed, the temperature would drop to 30 and they froze because of the change in wow. temperature. So now anytime I feel tempted to complain of the heat, I just remember my son with gratitude and I keep my mouth shut. Thank you, Evelyn, and thank you to your son for for his service of our country. That's some great perspective. And and I and I realize that uh, in most days or most situations when the air conditioning goes down, yeah, it gets it can get pretty hot in in the home. It's not a big deal, but you know, I do feel for those like it, 35 degrees is hot and if you don't have air conditioning, that could be uh, a safety hazard for a lot of people. For me, it's just discomfort. Like when I moved into my apartment, I've said this before at uh, Corden and Harrow, Lord Harrow Apartments. I didn't have an air conditioner. They, there's no AC in the building. No, they don't have pre-installed window units. You can get your own. I ended up having to get a, a portable AC. But that first summer, when it the first day it got up to 30 degrees, it was 30 and muggy, and my apartment was miserable. Like I didn't even want to go home because all I could do was just like sit around. As like Fortier said yesterday, just sit in my gitch with a fan in front of me because mm -hmm. that's it. You know, like a wet 
washcloth on my forehead. Uh, all I had to do, all I could do was suffer. Well, uh, coming up after 8 o'clock, there are obviously uh, folks without shelter in Winnipeg, those in our city who are extremely vulnerable to the heat because there is no refuge for them. Uh, the city is, is doing their best to create some cooling centers. We'll tell you where those are and what we can do to uh, help out those in our community who who may be in a situation where where shelter simply isn't an option from this oppressive heat. Jeff Braun, hello there, sir. Good morning, fellas. So we got a couple of movies to talk about on the small screen. One is on Netflix, but the first one, Jeff, is on Prime. What do we got there? Uh, Chris Pratt, J.K. Simmons, and Yvonne Strahovski star in a movie called The Tomorrow War. 30 years in the future, we are fighting a war. Our enemy is not human. And we are losing. We need you to fight. I will be back. The world caught off guard when time travelers arrived from the year 2051 with an urgent message that in the future, the world is losing a war with a vicious alien species. They're everywhere. We are food and they are hungry. Our enemy is smarter faster and stronger than you can possibly imagine. And they need more soldiers, so where do you get more people when there aren't enough left? Head to the past, and those from the past might just be the key to saving the future. Together we can stop this war from ever happening. This is my opportunity to give this world a second chance. You know, have you seen the trailer for this, Braun? No, I, I've avoided it because I actually think I've just... I saw the poster and I thought, ooh, I might actually check that out. So maybe I'll just go in sort of fresh and check that. Uh, it would be irritating, though, if you're one of these people where, you know, guys come from the future to tell you, you got to come with us to fight this war. It's like, you know what? We've got our own problems in the <laughs> present. Why do I all of a sudden have to be responsible for the problems 40 years from now? Yeah, and it's a weird premise, too. Like, why if you can go back in time, why wouldn't you just go back to when the war started? Like, you know, if you have the technology in the future uh, to fight these things, bring it all to the past for when they first show up. Yeah. And then just take them down. Then it's at uh, 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm still curious about it. I want to check it out, but uh, I'll go ahead into it with some skepticism. Now on Netflix... It, oh, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say, it sort of feeds into this... This it's, um, We don't even have time for it. I've got this crazy idea. It's not a theory, but sometimes I see like an old man, and I think, that kind of looks like what I think I might look like when I'm older. <laughs> and I wonder if, like, what if in the year 2050, things are so bad that they send everybody back 30 years to live out the rest of their lives before the earth's a goner it's a it's a bit of a bummer theory but uh, that'd be a pretty good movie i should write that down <laughs> uh over on netflix it's the first installment in a trilogy that's going to play out over the next three weeks it begins this weekend with fear street 1994 hello still alive who is this Again. This is based on R.L. Stein's best-selling horror series. The trilogy follows a nightmare through shady sides, sinister history. On July 9th, we're going to get Fear Street 1978, and on July 16th, Fear Street 1666. They all look super fun. There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Guys, I think there's someone in the woods. Of course there is. It wouldn't be fun if there wasn't somebody in the woods. So that is on Netflix. And um, do you want to just quickly mention, I guess, Jeff, what we got to have a sneak peek at this week? Yeah, it doesn't come out uh, for another week yet, but the Couch of Potatoes have already seen Black Widow. Taskmaster. He controls the whole army of widows. He's got to be stopped. Lucky us. Widow. Experience it in theaters or order on Disney Plus July 9th. We'll have a more detailed review next week, but uh, just sort of quickly here, Jeff, what'd you think? 
Oh, I really liked it. It's uh, it fits in well with all the other MCU movies. It's been so long since we've seen an MCU movie. Of course, we've seen the TV shows, but Black Widow uh, shows they haven't lost a step in the filmmaking department. It's sort of somewhere in the middle of the pack if you're ranking the MCU movies, I think. But there's a, it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of great action in it. Yeah, I agree. I loved it. I thought it was super emotional too. Like the movie had a lot of heart and uh, some some of the best fight scenes that uh, I've seen in a Marvel movie, some of the best action, and Scarlett Johansson was amazing. So we we both dig it. We'll tell you more about it next week as it opens on July 9th. Jeff Braun, thank you very much, sir. You betcha. Couch Potatoes podcast is now available, by the way, or you can listen Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 6. This week we counted down our favorite TV shows of the year thus far because Greg has... You know, you know, there wasn't much to do for much of this year, so we watched a lot, <laughs> and I mean a lot, of television. Well, can I confess something? Yes. Wednesday night, I went deep into the archives on uh, Prime Video. I watched Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, really? Yeah. I wasn't... You know what? I have to confess, I probably laughed more on Wednesday night than I did the first couple of times I saw that movie. It's actually fairly well done for an absolutely ridiculous premise and an incredibly uh, bad movie. I, <laughs> I, I had some fun with it. It was good. And I sent me down a rabbit hole on the internet because I want to know if Terry Kaiser, who played Bernie Lomax, if they just replaced him with a, a dummy or he actually portrayed Bernie after he dies in the film. Sorry, uh, if I uh, if there's a spoiler <laughs> alert involved here, but Bernie dies in the film and D Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman, they are dragging him around literally uh, through the course of that movie, except for a handful of places where he's replaced by a stuntman. Wow. Did you watch Weekend of Bernie's 2? Come on now. I'm not a masochist. <laughs> Now we switch gears on the start to talk hockey, in particular, game three of <clears throat> the North American Ice Hockey League Championships goes tonight in Montreal. Yeah, the Canadians are down two games to none. It has been said it's not a series until somebody loses at home. Jim Toth joins us now to discuss. Jim, welcome back to 680 CJOB. Welcome back to the start. We've been hearing you in sports all morning. Fantastic to have you back on the team, brother. Thanks, gentlemen. It's great to be back. A little rusty after a long, lengthy time off, but uh, good to be back. And good to be back with you guys. We were just reminiscing over some of the shows we did together or working. And just like the first time I was at CGOB, I wouldn't have gotten air without Brett McGarry. So <laughs> thanks. Happy to help, man. What does this button do? What? Yeah, hey, I didn't have even have to come into that booth where you are uh, to tell you to, to, what, what to turn on. So. That's progress. Yeah, good job. That is progress. You mentioned the rust. I haven't heard any rust at all, Toth. Sounding great as usual. Hey, um, can we put it this way? Without bad luck, Carey Price would have had none at all Wednesday. Two, you can only, of the three lightning goals, were incredibly fortunate on their part. One with essentially one second left in the second period. And then Brandon's Joel Edmondson sort of forgot which team he was playing for, uh, for Tampa Bay's uh, essentially game clinching goal on Wednesday. And, and now the Canadians find themselves down two games to none. Yeah, you know, this series, guys, and, and I'll say this from game two, I agree with all the the people that have, the pundits that have talked about it and even um, the coaches that, you know, Montreal outplayed Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay is just so deep. And I know that Tampa Bay in game one, and especially in game two, capitalized on some turnovers by the Montreal Canadiens. But look at who is capitalizing on those turnovers. It's the role players. It's the additions they made last year to win the Stanley Cup. It just that's why I went with them to repeat this year. It's the depth that they have. And when the Kucherovs and the Stamkoses um aren't scoring, it's the Coleman's and it's the Shirelli's and and even Andre Palat, who who's I think an underrated player in the National Hockey League come comes through. Carey Price, to your point, uh McGarry or not McGarry, sorry, Macklin is just I, I haven't seen him play this well, and that's saying something because I know he's an Olympic champion. Um, I know how good he's been and, and everything over the years. But it just eerily similar to when he came in as a rookie in the Calder Cup playoffs against the Manitoba Moose in 2009. And I remember when he first arrived right out of Tri-City, 
uh, in that series for the Bulldogs against the Moose. And, and, you know, we all sort of looked at each other in the media and said, man, he's, you know, and I'm one to judge, but he's a little pudgy, you know, for, for a professional goalie. But he was coming out of junior and he was so skilled and so good at the position that he hadn't gotten into the fitness realm of it yet because he was that good. He went on a Calder Cup run with his Hamilton Bulldogs, eliminated the heavy, heavily favored Manitoba Moose. That's what he's playing like right now. He's just in a zone. And at the start of the season, there were some that wanted to run him out of Montreal. And Jake Allen was a key part to getting him into the playoffs. But he is just, you know, at another level right now. And not to take anything away from Vasilevsky, but I honestly, it's it's weird to say with Montreal being down 0-2 that he's been the better goalie of the, the two goalies that have been fantastic in the first two games. Well, you know, with a ten with a ten million dollar a year contract, obviously he's a lightning rod at, at the best of times, Jim. So I've been in Montreal when the calls for moving on from Carey Price have been loud and and very distinctive. But uh, this is this is why the Montreal Canadiens signed him to this long term deal was to hopefully uh, get on a run like this. So you know Price for as unlucky as he was Wednesday keeps his cool, keeps his composure, and because of Price. Are the Canadians still in this series? I think they are. Um, I've always said that, you know, game three is the pivotal one, even if it's 1-1 or if, especially if you're down 0-2. Now, they can't go down 3-0. Um, I just don't see it happening. There's going to be a boost of being back in Montreal. Um, 3,500 fans tonight. So they're accustomed to that throughout some earlier rounds of the playoffs. And it's going to be a madhouse outside. But I just think Tampa Bay is so deep. And I just think they're firing on all cylinders. It wouldn't surprise me if Montreal won tonight, to be honest with you. It might be a 2-1 game, maybe a 3-2 with an overtime goal. But it it wouldn't shock me. But I think this is Tampa Bay series, and they're running away with it. Interim head coach Dom Ducharme, meanwhile, back behind the bench tonight. What difference could that make? Well, it, it'll be fascinating to see him back there. I thought Luke Richardson did a great job, and, and I read a great piece in The Athletic from Ian Mendez uh, yesterday, actually, on Luke Richardson and just how he's evolved as a coach from a player and, and what a good head coach he is. So I, I think this has been beneficial for him to get a head coaching job in the National Hockey League. But Dom Ducharme came in and pushed all the right buttons. He's got the interim tag on him. Um, you know, there was a firing in Montreal this year. I mentioned Carey Price was almost run out of town, and he sort of came in and settled it all down. The penalty kill has been uh, outstanding. Um, former Manitoba Moose and Vancouver Canuck Alex Burroughs is helping him with the power play now. So I, I think it might be a boost. I, I, I think it'll be just like returning home, that kind of a boost, but I don't know if it'll be enough. But it'll definitely help the team being back behind the bench because he's pushed a lot of right buttons since taking over in Montreal. So a few Winnipeg connections. I was going to ask you about Burroughs, and obviously you've spent a lot of time with Alex Burroughs as a player, and uh, he was an intense guy and and uh, had an ability to uh, to lead his team on the ice, as far as I could tell, where I used to sit when it came to to moose hockey. And then Ben Schrott, and we used to call him Joel. Now it's Yoel Armia <laughs> with the Canadians and, and Jets fans. Uh, many of them l- lament the fact that uh, Sherratt and Armia moved on, uh, maybe more so Armia than Sherratt. Uh, Big Ben had a little bit of a rough go on that uh, on that second goal from the Lightning on Wednesday night. What do you think of uh, their play and their contributions, uh, those three, before we let you go? Well, first of all, concerning Joel, Yoel, Armia, I'm going to be known as Yayim from now on. So Yayim, I'm going to change it just halfway through. Doesn't that bother you guys when an athlete after several years in in a league changes how you pronounce his first name? Like, just do it when you get there. But anyway, I think they've all played well. Uh, Yoel Armia is a a game-time decision. He was banged up yesterday at practice. So we'll find out later today. Maybe Jets on noon. We'll have an update on him and Jake Evans. Uh, ben Schrott has had a really good year. He's really evolved. He's really developed. And one thing I think that isn't talked about enough in this season, guys, and how Montreal has ridden four defensemen in this playoffs is the 56 games. When you only play 56 games in a regular season, I think come playoff time, you can you have a lot of legs left in some of your defensemen and can roll the, the four guys. But all the Jets' connections have performed well for Montreal. Ben Sherrod has really taken a step forward even last year with the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, I think he understands his game now. I think he knows what's asked of him, and hey, he's playing with Shea Weber, which we talk about the Carey Price contract. We know all that was said about the Shea Weber contract, and even that one is still paying off after the trade for P.K. Subban. So there's a lot of, uh, of Manitoba Moose, Winnipeg, and Jets connections with the Montreal Canadiens, and I think they've all performed well. They need Yoel Amia in the lineup tonight, and they need Ben Sherratt to, you know, he had some tough luck with some bounces, but just to play his big, solid game and I expect them to be really physical in front of the home crowd tonight 
Jim Toth in for Cam Poitras today in sports, as well as on Jets at noon. Back in the saddle. Great to have you back, Jim. Be back. Thanks, guys. I don't think you could have gone anywhere in Canada and not find somebody who was marveling over the temperature records that were being smashed in Lytton, B.C., and now Canadians will be discussing Lytton for such a sad and devastating reason. Global's Paul Hasem joins us now live from British Columbia. Paul, good morning to you. Where are you set up this morning? Yeah, good morning, guys. I'm set up just on the outskirts of the town of Lytton, but as you just mentioned there at the beginning... The town, the village that used to be Lytton. I think Lytton was put on the map earlier this week, smashing that Canadian record for all-time temperatures for three straight days. Now it's essentially been wiped off the map. A massive fire came ripping through on Wednesday. It was fast. The people who lived there, 250 in the village itself, about 1,000 in the outskirts, they were given moments, not minutes, moments to get out. And the village is gone. It got wiped out by that fire, and it was fast, but it was also fatal. Two confirmed deaths so far. A number of people are still missing. This proud BC town that we were so proud of right across the country, right across the world, has been reduced to ash. Paul, we heard reports uh, earlier in the week. People, you know, you mentioned proud, and and uh, Brett mentioned it earlier this morning. The the mayor of Lytton uh, joking about the fact that the mayor of Lillooet owed him a beer because Lytton had broken the all time heat record, and then of course did it on three successive days. And then the end of that third day was absolutely devastating. For those that have not been to British Columbia, maybe you can paint us a picture first of all of the geography where Lytton lies. And then also with regard to to heat and how much trepidation there is in British Columbia when it gets hot as it can, because really the province was in a fairly good situation in terms of dryness and and the fire concern uh, up until last week, if I understand that situation correctly. Yeah, it's a very good point. And as you if you're asking about location, we're about an hour and a half southwest of Kamloops, if that's a bit of a barometer for the people in Winnipeg and Manitoba. So anyone who's traveled out this way, it's a small town, but as you know, as Manitobans, it's the small towns that make up that province. And that was kind of behind that bet that uh, the mayor here made with the mayor of Lillooet. And that was exactly it. We were in a pretty good situation, and then that heat dome rolled through. It was hot for one day, two days, three days, and then it started getting out of control. And there's a bit of debate about the cause. The regional district believes it was sparked by a train that was driving by the local First Nation. The Linton First Nation also believes it was sparked by a train. We've yet to get that confirmed by the BC Wildfire Service. But either way, it was a concern because all of a sudden, everything that was tinder dry just lit up. And now we're seeing some thunderstorms roll through the area. And that is a major concern. Just for context, we had 24 wildfires in this province of British Columbia as of Monday. Today, we have more than 116. So that is where the concern lies, is that because it has been so tinder dry for such a long stretch, it's essentially a matchbox and it's going to light up. And you talk about how these small towns are so important to the overall culture that is British Columbia. These First Nations that existed have also been decimated. It's not just a village along the way. The First Nation that makes up the area of Lytton also wiped out. I did speak to the MP. He's saying he's going to be putting some pressure on the federal government, on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and say, look, I'm going to be asking him to match all donations made to the Red Cross. We need to build back the province and the federal government have committed to rebuilding this village. They want to build it bigger. They want to build it better. They want to make sure that it does get rebuilt. But most importantly, it needs to be better protected because this can't happen again. It is heartbreaking. It is so heartbreaking to hear the stories of all the people who have had to be evacuated. We've been here for a couple of days now, so we are starting to talk. I mean, it's a small town. It's people, everyone knows everyone. So we're starting to connect with people who had to get out and the stories will just break your heart. I heard from one woman who 
her dad stayed behind. He's a former firefighter. He said, if our village is going down, I'm here to fight it. She has yet to hear from him. We also heard from a guy who loaded up his truck with his two dogs, ran in to get his cat, came outside, and saw his truck with the dogs inside engulfed in flames. These are just some of the stories. These stories make up this village. This village makes up this province, and it truly is just heartbreaking here. And this situation is not over by any stretch. This is the kickoff to wildfire season. What a heartbreaking way to start. Global's Paul Hasem joining us live on 680 CJOB from just outside Lytton, B.C. Paul, thank you very much for this. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you guys, and stay safe with your hot temperatures. I know it's going through Manitoba right now, so please stay safe as well. It is our weekly visit with Gabrielle Marchand, co-host of the Global News Morning Program on CKND Television. (laughs) Good morning, Gabby. Good morning. Happy Friday, my friends. Great to gab with you. And uh, I came across a little bit of trivia here. It was this day in 1979 that Sony released The Walkman. Oh. And if my math is correct, that's 42 years ago. Was a Walkman something that was a part of your life or did you go straight to the Discman? No, no, a Walkman was a part of my life for sure. My parents were also kind of old school when it came to technology. So we usually had what other people had had five years before (laughs) in our childhood, five years later. So, you know, we'd had Walkmans, loved them, loved to listen to a tape. Our cars had cassette players forever. We didn't have the, the CDs for quite a while in my childhood. We did eventually have the Discmans, and I used to fight classic Gabby. I broke my Discman, so my sister would have to share with me, poor older child, on road trips. We'd have to take turns listening to CDs or cassettes because I would always break my technology. (laughs) Well, did you ever have the... uh the sport Walkman, either in yellow or I think later they came out with one like in a in a teal color. It was yellow and black, like a sporty little bumblebee, right? I think we might have yeah. had one of those. It almost had a rubbery surface. Oh yes, I remember that. And did you break those too? Yeah, no. I think those survived. Those stood the test of time. I feel like Walkmans were more durable than Discmans for sure. You could drop them was- more. It was just so incredible to have that that music at your fingertips. Something that you needed a home stereo to access mostly. And then, of course, the world of the mixtape, I think, sort of changed once the Walkman came around because now you could, you know, it's like now I have my phone and I have Apple Music. I have access to every single album basically ever released. But to have your mixtape in your pocket was something special. Did you make mixtapes? I made a, oh man, I, no, I didn't really. I was more of, that was more the CD kind of era for me. And I remember one time I was going through a, a rough time in high school and I made a CD that had Coldplay's Fix You on it 14 times and then The Scientist twice because the repeat button on my CD player was broken, but I wanted to listen to it over and over. And I remember I turned the lights out and I was listening to it in my room and my mom was like, are you going to be okay? Did you guys make, did you woo people with mixtapes, the romantic mixtape? Because that was a big deal, getting a mixtape from somebody. It's very personal. Mackling? Yes. <laughs> what was on it? That's Do you all remember? I could say. Yes. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, it would have been, uh, now I have to think of uh, one tape in particular. Definitely there would have been Journey. There would have definitely had been some ABBA, some Bee Gees. This is where my mom and my stepdad's uh, interesting taste in music and modern taste in music paid off. Beatles was accessible to me. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, Foreigner. My dad was big time into Foreigner. I remember when he brought Foreigner 4 into our house. And I mean, that was one of the great albums of all time. So yeah, I dabbled with the mixtape without question. And in fact, in grade six, I can remember. (laughs) This is just coming back to me now. (laughs) Talking to my girlfriend, Karen, and playing uh, one of the, the slower songs on Foreigner 4 and my dad picking up the phone. And then uh, <laughs> slamming it down and then him asking me, what was that oh. all about? And uh, <laughs> I think I ended up giving him some romantic advice because uh, <laughs> my mom and him had split up not that long beforehand. And 
about six months later, I caught him doing the exact same <laughs> thing. Mama Mia, don't stop believing he is a romantic baby. Okay. What did your hair look like? That's what I want to see pictures from this era of you making mixtapes and wooing girls on the phone. You had long Always hair. long. Always long. I believe My it. My nickname in high school, one of them was Hippie. So oh. take that for what it's worth. You were, you were a big banger too, right? Oh, yeah. You like the metal? Oh, yeah. But I had a soft side too, for sure. Okay. We, we also got to ask you about work mishaps, Gabby. I had one that I, I told Brett about earlier this morning when he kind of told me what you had been chatting about. So I have a fake front tooth. I knocked it out on a trampoline many years ago. And so it's been replaced with a fake tooth. But unfortunately, I tried to open a bottle of hot sauce. This was when I was anchoring in Thunder Bay, so I had to be on air. I tried to open a bottle of hot sauce, the plastic part on a new bottle with my teeth. And the plastic kind of got shoved up between my two front teeth. And I, I thought it was loose. And I was like, oh, hopefully this is okay. I went to work, bit into a donut, which is really very soft, and out came my front tooth surrounded by coworkers. Thankfully not on air, obviously. But uh, I had to go home because you really can't do the news missing your front tooth. <laughs> so, like, did you have to go to the dentist and have them reinsert it or whatever? It was a dental emergency. It cost $1,000, and it was awful. <laughs> oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. Fake front <sighs> teeth, they are expensive, my friends. Don't lose <laughs> them. Keep them in your mouth if you can. And dumb yeah, stuff with the car. My mishaps are always in injuries, but uh, I was running and somehow I got surprised on a street in North Battleford. I was young, foolish, and I managed to turn around and run into my car door that was open with my ribs. I think I probably just had whiplash, but it really hurt a lot. And I ended up going to the emergency room. I'm that person. Doctors hate me. I'm tall and gangly. <laughs> um, They're like, please stay out of here. What about you guys? There's... <laughs> There's something miss. No, 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 no. How about you guys? There's something missing from this story. How, how did this happen? I'm trying to think. How did you run into your own open car door? We need more details here. My car door was open and I was half out of the car talking to somebody. And then do you ever just get disoriented where you kind of forget what direction you're going in? I think that's what happened. I, I, I think I went to go the other way, but I turned and just like whipped into the door with the, and I, I hit the side of the door. It really hurt a lot. Oh, yeah. It's called being clumsy, Greg. It happens to some of us. Like, did you dig right into the corner of the door? Yeah, with my ribs. Well, yeah, you're, you could have impaled yourself. It was terrible. Terrible. <laughs> what about you? I want to hear your mishaps so I feel better about my missing tooth. <laughs> uh, Greg? No mishaps. None. None. Zero? Uh, Perfect. Yeah, I've never had a single mishap in my. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I have. Uh, I've done just about everything imaginable. Imaginable. I've given myself concussions walking into the edge of doors. Oh. I'm walking around with a with a what I'm pretty certain is a broken bone in my foot right now because I dropped a patio stone <laughs> on it two weeks ago. No. Uh, I am forever injuring myself. And when I was a little kid, I was a frequent flyer at Children's Hospital. I fell off a trailer once. I had a swing set fall on my head. Had to have emergency plastic <laughs> surgery. A oh, swing set on. on your head? Uh-huh. It was not, uh, you know, it wasn't staked down to the ground. And I was swinging just a little bit too high. And there's a little piece that the teeter-totter usually gets attached to. We didn't have that swinging teeter-totter. My swing had one chain on one side of the teeter-totter bracket and one on the other. And that bracket, the entire swing set fell back and that bracket went into my head. Well. And I was bleeding so badly that um, they didn't even wait for an ambulance. They sent a police car to our house in St. James. And I went to the hospital in the back of a police car. Well, that's the brief version of that. The, <laughs> the inspiration for all future mixtapes for Greg Mackling. <laughs> Gabrielle Marchand, thank you so much for joining us as always on Fridays. Always a treat. Happy Friday, everyone. Stay safe out there. Have you ever had to just slug it out without air conditioning? And what did you do to stay cool? And we've got some great text. We'll tell you who our winner is in a moment. But first, I'm going to read uh, Barb's text. Greg, why don't you read Bevan? And then I'll read our uh, winner's text. Barb says, hot. Picture this. Home under renovations. Seven months pregnant in July 1979. Windows painted shut. No air conditioning. No furniture in living room except for a lawn chair with a fan blowing on me. 
That's interesting. That sounds oh, awful. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That is a picture painted. Uh, how about Bevan saying, we have lived in our house for over 50 years without air conditioning. On Tuesday, we finally had AC installed. We survived lots of fans and two big maple trees in our backyard. There are worse things in life than not having air conditioning. Bevan, Kevin would disagree with that. <laughs> Kevin is our winner. Kevin says, sorry, guys, there is no way. And I mean, no way I live anywhere except the North Pole without air conditioning. I would own an air conditioner over a stove. I can get food elsewhere or eat salads. I cannot sleep at all when my body is so hot that I feel like an egg boiling in hot water. So appliance number one is an air conditioner. So Kevin, <laughs> your emphatic love of the air conditioner has won you the $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia pizza. If you couldn't have central air, Greg, what would you prefer? Uh, like a portable one that sits on the floor that you just put the tubes up in the window or an actual window unit? Yeah, I think those ones that sit on the floor are pretty good. My grandma needed air conditioning and uh, going to install her air conditioners for her every year. The window ones were a real pain in the neck. I finally got her one of those floor model ones. Yeah. Yeah, just ease of installation. I vote I vote for the floor model one for sure. Yeah, they they're they're a bit trickier I think to install if the windows open like side like sideways as opposed to yes. up and down. But uh yeah, the the portable ones are good. And, and I had one that was a little too big once. Like I I want I wanted the beefiest one, but it was like a tank. It was so loud. Uh, so I think you're almost better off if you live in an apartment, like get one for your living room, like a little one for the living room, one for your bedroom, and then you're good to go. Thanks for all the texts, everybody. The Manitoba Motorcycle Ride for Dad is encouraging registered riders to ride alone together in the fight against prostate cancer and enter the Rat Ride Photo Contest. Adam Big Hill of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is a Manitoba Motorcycle Ride for Dad celebrity ride captain, and he's here to tell us more. Mr. Big Hill, good morning to you, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So you're a celebrity ride captain. Before we talk about the contest, what's your connection to the Ride for Dad? Why is it important to you? Well, I, you know, I think it comes down to, to one word. You know, I, I am a dad. Uh, you know, I have a dad. I, I know other great fathers out there. And, you know, prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in Canadian men. One out of every seven men will be diagnosed with the disease. And the thing that's most important is that if caught early, it can al almost always be successfully treated. Um, you know, so awareness is a huge thing. Obviously, trying to fund a cure is another. So being a dad, having a father... Uh, I know how important, you know, me being around for my children is and, and everyone else. So, I mean, for me, it, it is, it's a huge deal from just a community and family perspective. And I've learned, and I think we've learned together over the years, Adam, that, that many uh, men that have this uh, cancer don't know that they have it. And that's why it's so important to get tested, to get checked out and why this initiative is such a powerful tool in talking about things that sometimes dudes don't like to talk about with one another. Absolutely. I mean, that's right. I mean, if, if you're 40 or over, I mean, you should be getting tested, um, you know, because for the fact that it is highly treatable if caught early and it's not something you want to, to creep up on you, um, you know, and, and quality of life if caught early uh, is going to be much better as well. So, um, awareness is key. Talking about it is key. And overall, it's just about the health and safety of, of our loved ones. And, you know, even, um, you know, wives, girlfriends, um, you know, sisters, I mean, they are, they should be advocating and are advocating for, for the men in their life as well. So um, it's just one of those things that, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we push, the more change we can make. So there's a pretty sweet prize package for the Rat Ride Photo Contest. You were featured in a video on Ride for Dad Manitoba's uh, social media uh, outlining the prizes. So what's up for grabs? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a full-on backyard barbecue prize package. I mean, you're going to get everything from the gas barbecue, uh, you know, a custom Ride for Dad fire pit, a cooler, and, and Adirondack chairs, um, you know, play now com is, is, is sponsored all of those so i mean you're going to get a full-on backyard barbecue set that you can use in these great summers um you know so i mean it's definitely something you, you want to try to win well an observation here adam 
I don't know who is writing cue cards for you or uh, the incredible memory you have. You flawlessly delivered that video and it wasn't 30 seconds. It was over two minutes long. So bravo to you on that front. Any designs on a broadcasting career? I know you're already dabbling. I shouldn't say dabbling. You already have sort of a career path in, in financial planning ahead of you. But man, that was a sweet delivery on that video. Uh, kudos to you. Hey, I appreciate it. You know, I can I can sub in and do some uh, some stuff for you guys if you want me to. I'd be more than happy to do it. <laughs> I well, also, we always love it when you're on the show and or any uh, program on CJOB, Adam. So thanks for this. So tell us how the contest works. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, you know, if you want to participate in in for the uh, backyard barbecue package, it's it's really about getting out and and, and doing some riding and you know taking pictures at different areas throughout the. You know the the province here. You know, um, I think Happy Rock and Gladstone, um, Chuck the the Channel uh, Channel Cat and Selkirk, Tommy the Turtle and Boise. And there's just different areas that are great places to ride and and experience uh, the outdoor Manitoba. And you know, I, I believe you get to triple your chances if you uh, take a photo in in front of any of the Ride for Dad Gold sponsor locations. So, I mean, plenty of ways to enter and you can enter as many times as you want so depending on how much you want to ride how many pictures you want to take uh you can get your name in that uh draw quite a few times and up your chances to win now adam i'm looking at this custom fire pit and it is really it's like we were talking about fire pit safety earlier this looks really cool but i think i might have a, a sort of a, a, a fundamental problem with this fire pit because i see that it was designed by students at Murdoch McKay Collegiate in Winnipeg, and Murdoch was my high school's arch rival because <laughs> I, I went next door to College Pianalia Trudeau. Well, I mean, you got to respect the quality workmanship they put in there. It's a it's a beautiful custom pit, so you know I thought it was uh, a pretty neat. Pretty neat addition. It is. It is cool, and I, I, I'm just kidding around. They, they, they always had uh, great students who did great work like this. But we just wanted to ask you because Greg, when I mentioned this to Greg earlier this week, he immediately identified his arch rival high school. Do you still have that kind of sense, like when you think of your high school days and the school that was your enemy? Yeah, yeah, I do. We, we, we never called it by it. We called it the Blue Town, and. Uh, we uh, we would never say the word Elma, you know. So we we got we definitely had bitter rivals, and uh, it, it's something that um, you know it's tradition, and and I think it's you know an awesome part of you know growing up in Friday night lights and playing football and and competing against other areas and and so forth. Well, we have to talk a little bit about football before we let you go. We're just uh you know basically a month away here from. The first game of the season, the first game in almost two years, Canadian Football League back on the field. And we love to joke about the rivalry and and talk about the rivalry between Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. And there are rivalries amongst other teams in the CFL. How anxious are you to get back out there and and start uh, knocking around guys that wear uh, something other than a blue and gold uniform? Yeah, no, it's been it's been far too long. Um, extremely excited and. It's really, uh, to this point, it's, it's just going to be great to see the guys again and, and get back to playing the game we love and playing full speed and, like you said, um, getting that physical contact back. I mean, you know, it's been great to have another career in financial planning, but it's frowned upon when I, you know, if I'm going to, you know, hit any of my uh, coworkers in the office. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is going to be much needed. Adam Big Hill, Manitoba Motorcycle Ride for Dad, Celebrity Ride Captain, and, of course, a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, man. We appreciate the time. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. So once again, for the Rat Ride Photo Contest, here's what you do. You explore Manitoba this summer. You take a photo of yourself or your group next to a community landmark statue or in front of any Ride for Dad gold sponsor location. You share your pics to the Facebook page for the Ride for Dad at Ride for Dad MB or hashtag Ride for Dad MB on Twitter and Instagram, and you're automatically entered to win the Backyard Barbecue Prize Package, which, as Adam said, comes with a gas barbecue, that custom fire pit made by the students at Murdoch McKay, custom cooler, and the Adirondack chairs sponsored by Play Now. Com, and you can get more information on this at ridefordad.ca slash Manitoba. It really is a slick 
fire pit, Greg. Like arch rivalry aside, as he mentioned, you got to give kudos to tremendous craftsmanship, and it's pretty incredible stuff. Craftsmanship is exactly the word that comes to mind when I saw that. And, you know, anything custom is extra special. And then to have it associated with Ride for Dad would be extra special. And I just wanted to point out as well, Adam Big Hill and his wife, Christina, they have become such an integral part of the community here in Winnipeg. It's one of the reasons I've always loved the Canadian Football League, the connection the Blue Bombers players have had to the community ever since I was a little kid. Another example of why the Blue Bombers are so very special has nothing to do with our relationship with them here at 680 CJOB, which is just a bonus. But just kudos to Adam and all the players that get involved in things like this and become, you know, two feet, two hand, all the way in. Uh, they become Winnipeggers and Manitobans. I just wanted to tip my hat to Adam uh, for doing that because I think it's extra special. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.